No. I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. On behalf of the Lifehack team, thank you for watching this video. And for more clips and beneficial content, please subscribe to the Lifehack channel, your number one source for personal Islamic development. I'd like to at this time welcome Ustad Abdullah Andalusi. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My pleasure to be here. I wish I was there in person, uh, but uh, obviously. Uh, th there are certain circumstances which have contrived to to have kept all of us isolated in our homes. Uh, so, khair, inshallah. Yes. Yeah, no, subhanAllah, it's always a, a pleasure. I think there's an extra sweetness when you meet people when you're traveling for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, when people, you know, oftentimes people that will travel for vacation or for, you know, business-related issues. But uh, I've had the bless, blessing from Allah SWT to actually travel for the sake of Allah SWT and also meet travelers who do come uh, to my uh, location uh, traveling for the sake of Allah SWT. And I believe there's a special bond that's created when you do that, when you make that effort. Now, let's get right into it. Uh, the uh, I would say the launching pad for the topic is uh, going to be, are we having the right debate? And I think maybe uh, we can even generalize that further by saying, are we having the right conversations in our community? And when you hear a lot of what is being discussed on social media, perhaps issues are highlighted that don't have uh, the most relevance for us as a community. And uh, I just want to throw that out to you to get us started. Are we having the right conversations right now in our communities? So it, it, there's two levels to this, you could say. Um, so the first level is the topics that hold the most, uh, the most resonance in the Muslim community. And then there's the method of discussion that occurs uh, within the Muslim community and uh, between Muslim community and other communities. I say broad stroke Muslim community, but um, I, I certainly only mean uh, that there is, it just seems to be the, that there's a particular culture of practice um, that seems to be quite uh, ubiquitous, uh, which I think um, needs to be focused on. It needs to be uh, kind of changed uh, for a better practice. But before we get to that, before I start my rant, um, I will, uh, we'll just discuss obviously the, the topics. Um, so what you'll, what you'll generally see in the Muslim community is uh, the kind of topics that I remember holding have always held the most resonance in Muslim community is, um, is generally speaking, things like, uh, you know, uh, you see lectures on the end times, uh, lectures on jinn, um, mm. on, on really obscure matters generally. That gets packed out audiences, packed out audiences when we had audiences um, but the highest kind of attendances. Uh, but if you want to talk about things which are more pertinent, like, okay, well, um, what is the actual practical way uh, we can, we, what practical means can we do to uh, to basically solve uh, the multi, uh, multi-various problems that we face in the Muslim world? Um, uh, the the invasions of Muslim land, the bombings of Muslim land, the visions of the Muslim mm. world, um, the uh, nationalism being a problem in the Muslim world, and of course, occupation of, of various countries like uh, Kashmir, but like the the, the genocide that's occurring against uh, our brothers and sisters amongst the Uyghur population, the Rohingya population, um, 
the the uh, repression and uh, suppression of the Palestinians. Um, the, the, the list just goes on on and on and on, and it only seems to be getting worse over time. Um, and I was kind of, uh, and I suppose just to kind of highlight the point is uh, right, kind of run about uh, this this kind of month. Uh, there is uh, the kind of commemoration of a hundred years without the the Khilafah, which you know the, the Muslim Caliphate. Uh, which mm. was obviously a unitary system. Um, now, I know towards the, the, the end of its life, um, it got weaker and weaker and it couldn't really do much. But for the, the main, main parts of, the Muslim, of, of Islamic history, of Muslim history, um, the, the caliphate just represents unity of the Muslims, unity of our resources, unity of our polit politics. And so when, they, when one part of the Muslim Ummah had a problem, the other part could respond in an organized manner or have some access by which it could um, rally behind and make make some kind of response effective or not but it had that kind of access it had that kind of uh, rallying point so uh, uh, muslims uh, discussion of that topic uh, discussion of the problem of nationalism that divides us into groups and factions uh, this has much smaller interest in the muslim community um, mm. and uh, to, to topics which are actually have no uh, no real uh, kind of significance now all the topics that are being discussed in the muslim community are more um, short-term issues like oh look what happened in the the oppression of muslims in in switzerland concerning the niqab ban which which mm. uh, in a twist of sadistic irony occurred on international women's day they banned women from wearing clothing they mm. wanted in switzerland um uh, by referendum it's not even by the government doing it usually governments are doing it uh, off their own um uh, kind of cognizance but now it's actually the the, the, the people or a majority of the people voting for it liberally mm. uh, rather than like France where it would just be the legislators um, the representatives of the people doing so so but I, th I thought I thought women should be allowed to wear whatever they want or maybe there's exceptions to that well, well um, according to uh, you could say Western ideological rhetoric otherwise known mm. as propaganda mm. they say women wear whatever they want but in practice of course uh they they, they generally don't uh, which is i suppose uh some some things that obviously we would agree on such as you know there's a ban a general ban for the most part in practice against nudism so you know you can't be a nudist mm. um, and walk around the city completely naked because that would uh kind of fall foul of certain indecency laws um, and, mm. and, and then uh, nudists or, or naturists, as they might call themselves, they, they actually might argue that this is not true, that you can't just wear what you want because they want to don't want to wear anything um, mm. in, uh, in a public um, site. So, uh, but then, but you see, there is a reason why the West would say, we believe in letting women wear what they want. That's, that propaganda is kind of targeted at societies whereby they don't like uh, types of modesty that they don't agree with. Mm. So really, it's just a propaganda strapline to critique uh, other people's cultures or civilizations that have different understandings of modesty or, or mm. public decency, uh, public decency. Uh, whereas in the West has a minimum understanding, of, when we say a minimum, I, I don't know how to describe minimum, but uh, short of being completely without clothing, <laughs> right? Uh, yes. Just short of that, uh, they've set the barrier currently there so uh, anyway uh, but yeah the yeah. west has never been really consistent in any, anything it does uh, for the most part would, would you say 
would you say like just to uh maybe highlight a specific issue in terms of the a conversation that should be had um in our community we do you think we take for granted our practices our values you know things that we're accustomed to like you know the, you know seeing that sisters wearing hijab in our community or niqab or whatever uh do you think we take that for granted and we are not having the conversations uh early enough to basically deal with the tide of uh this propaganda that you have spoken about um well as i said it's uh, muslims generally when responding to uh, xenophobia against mm. uh, against themselves uh, they're being portrayed as a a different an alien or foreign culture religion and people and uh, they usually adopt left-wing uh, rhetoric and arguments uh, to try to defend themselves and the left wing certainly offer them out uh, for us and they offer their wings for us to hide behind underneath um, mm. but it comes with a, 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 an ideological price tag which is you have to adopt their value system so uh, you'll see muslims arguing that the hijab shouldn't be banned because women should be allowed to wear what they want but uh, nobody short of nudists and naturists truly believe that right um, I, I wasn't i wasn't going to say the left wing because there'll be there'll be probably left wing members who actually do who actually are supporting naturists and nudism as they're right fine mm. let them not wear what they are. Uh, let them take off their clothes in public um, and, and you can have old men walking around uh with uh, in front of in front of children in the street um, exposing themselves um which no one would which hopefully that should you know kind of motivate people to, to see just how uh, kind of distasteful that is and they should obviously prevent that from uh, occurring but uh, that's what nudism, nudism and naturism obviously uh, if being if you're going to apply it consistently will lead to mm. you apply it consistently that will lead to so you need to uh, so but, but muslims adopt left-wing arguments and then of course but, but we ourselves don't believe as muslims and like anyone else doesn't believe uh, except nudists um that uh, we, we don't believe that people can wear what they want in, in society and if you do anything mm. that affects other people in society and it doesn't mean you have to uh, you know it doesn't mean uh, just, just attacking them physically but mm. any other things you there are many things you do that affect other people so islam just kind of almost has a very common sense approach to this uh, which is just say well we have to regulate what you how you affect other people to to stop you doing things which uh, might cause uh, a type of a type of oppression to other people in in various mm. ways and, and obviously we we know this in the common sense way even in the west you have um uh, kind of you have to have regulations on noise so you can't have a a really noisy you know music playing that keeps your your neighbors up at night it could be a nuisance a social neutral nuisance and there are fines and laws and, and maybe even jail time in some countries uh, depending mm. on just how much of a persistent nuisance you are it causes what they call harassment right yeah. so the west has a concept of, of harassment in society uh, harassment in public uh, which yes. need not be physical assault so uh, um, but as muslims when, when we just we just jump on the left wing bandwagon and use whatever left wing arguments we can find uh, and then and then when that doesn't work um, if there is a let's say argument to say well well, well we need to have if there are muslim adoption charities well there was a case with catholic adoption charities in the uk and they were they didn't want to uh, adopt children to uh, same-sex couples 
right? Now, they weren't publicly funded, right? They were funded privately with their own funds, but they didn't want to give, uh, they want to adopt children uh, to, or give uh, children to be adopted by same-sex couples. And then the law of, of um, uh, well, you know, kind of the Equalities Act that we have in UK, it was enacted, and of course, that couldn't be allowed. And so they chose to just uh, stop being a, uh, an adoption charity and, 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 uh, and, and stop kind of adopting, finding parents for adopted children rather than compromise their religion. Um, but the arguments that were generally kind of used is that uh, it goes against their freedom of religion uh, and uh, to defend conservative values, which is now that's kind of what you call conservative arguments in the Western um, spectrum. So Muslims are just jumping between the different rhetoric of the schools of thought without actually arguing from our own basis which is mm -hmm. on our own basis is okay we don't we don't expect um non-muslims to say to believe that the, what the quran says of the course uh, the, uh, the point of dawah is to make them believe in the quran uh, by by debate and discussion and persuasion um uh but uh we can highlight that anything they do uh to us uh, which is a, a, an oppression is is contains a contradiction of their principles that they profess and all, all we all we our argument really should just be to hold them to being consistent saying like if you guys believe in this value then why are you making an exception for us okay if we are meant to be the citizens like you are and we yeah. all under we're all a social contract that we will all be consistent uh, in our treatment of each other mm. And therefore, you can't. You're not. Your opinions are not better than ours. And if we disagree, you can't impose your opinions upon us ourselves. So, in essence, we're only holding the West, only holding Western countries to being consistent. Uh, but we don't say that we believe in in particular values that they hold. We just say that uh, either be consistent or change your 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 system. Right. Uh, mm. So either be consistent yeah. with how you apply it. Or, or just admit that we don't follow these ideas. You know, e e either way, at least we know where we stand. Um, so I once said to a debate a French person about this matter, uh, about the matter of um, of, uh, of banning uh, the hijabs in schools and niqabs in public and uh, public prayer. And I said, look, if if you want to do all this, if if you if you must do all this because you say that uh, it must follow the will of the majority and whatever the majority wants. Uh, uh, they have the right to impose upon their minorities. If, if that doesn't, if you don't see any problem with that, uh, then, that then, then that's kind of, it's not fine, but that's fine if you want to do that. But then just don't tell the world that you're a quote unquote free country that protects minorities and gives minority rights. And at least don't lie about it, right? So mm. either you stick to your rhetoric or you, or you uh, publicly admit that it is rhetoric and it is actually not true, but don't have this you know, have my cake and eat it approach where I mean, well, I'm going to pretend to be one thing, but I'm going to do something else uh, just according to the whims and desires of the majority faction against the rights of the minority. So that's mm. how we should argue as Muslims, because that's that's how uh, the, the prophets would argue uh, against uh, non-Muslim, you know, nations that they were in. Um, mm. they, 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 they call them to Allah, they call them to uh, the, the the commands of Allah SWT, but, but if they didn't agree and they started to do oppression, uh, the the arguments that the prophets would use would be that uh, look how not look how non consistent you are, uh, look how you treat people who are meant to be you uh, where you consider to be them to be noble, look how you treat them, um, look how you treat orphans, uh, which you you even in your own culture you know that you shouldn't mistreat them, but look how you treat them. Um, mm. So. 
this is the the argument of the prophets was to demand consistency uh, from uh, from 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 people and uh, the, the, there's a verse in the Quran which is quite uh, really beautiful on this matter as a good illustration uh, when it when it when the Prophet Muhammad uh, received his revelation and he used it to to critique how the Quraysh would bury the firstborn child if the firstborn child was a, was a woman or a female a girl, a girl uh, because the firstborn was perceived it had to be a, a male uh, in culture. So uh, the the case was that you, you do this, but uh, you allow for Allah to be only having daughters. All right. So is it to is it to, uh, is it to Allah the daughters and you the sons? Um, so the the Quranic argument in this case is, I mean, although the Quran condemns idolatry and you know pagan idols and attributing daughters or sons to, to Allah Subhanahu but in this particular verse. It, it really just points out the, the inconsistency in today's culture, which is you uh, you ascribe that uh, you affirm that uh, uh, the firstborn must be sons, and yet you've got no problem ascribing to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, the Creator of the universe, that um, he he can have daughters and only daughters, right? And that's basically it was a it was a very good um, it was, it's an, an amazing argument because. It holds it, it, in that particular argument. It, it doesn't deal with um, refuting that Allah has daughters per se, but rather the inconsistency of the Quraysh's worldview. Yes, uh, like so. Your um, points are, I, I believe, very valid. And what do you think is the cause for our community not to have those uh, conversations externally? Do you think internally? Uh, amongst ourselves we aren't discussing these issues enough or talking about uh arguments and uh, you know bringing up these types of inconsistencies because like i would say you know you've mentioned that we use their system but we we're still almost removing ourselves as being a full member of society because i believe every full member of society feels that they can contribute to the zeitgeist, so to speak, like they can contribute to the the discussion or the dialogue or, uh, you know, where policy and, and, and values are headed, you, you know, uh, you know, oftentimes it seems that Muslims uh, are told, hey, uh, you have to just go with the flow, just stay quiet and go with the flow. And many Muslims, they do that. And because many people came as immigrants and they're like, OK, we're so lucky to to be here. And so. We're just going to stay quiet and just, uh, you know, toe the line. Whereas you, when you talk to people who are born and raised here, uh, they've been here for generations, they feel that, hey, I can say my opinion, whatever uh, I want to say, and it can be completely different than uh, what's popularized or whatever. Uh, but I don't feel ashamed to do that, you know. Uh, but Muslims, perhaps they don't uh, have that confidence. Is that because we're we're not even having conversations internally where we can have a unified or a strong voice uh, that we can amplify externally? Um, I think it's perhaps due to understanding. So uh, mm. Muslims are Muslims feel almost shy to discuss their deen because they say, well, uh, the non-Muslims won't believe in the Quran, and 
certainly how the culture that is in, in the West, in many Western countries, is that uh, religious-based or divine uh, divine revelation is not a basis for good and bad. Uh, and even it is denigrated as being a basis for uh, bad uh, commands, bad morals um, in many of its, its uh, ordinances. And because of that narrative in wider society, Muslims feel shy to, to advance um, uh, Islamic, Islamic explanations or the Islamic perspective of things. And we're meant to be witnesses to mankind of the truth, and we're too shy to do so because we're worried that the truth uh, it, it will be understood as being something bad because of the wider narrative. Whereas the, the better and, and the, the way we should be doing it is to actually then challenge the narrative head on. Um, and that requires us understanding the Dean of the West or the, or the various Adyan of the West, different Madahibs of the West, um, understand the, the weaknesses in their beliefs, the falsehoods, the irrational basis for their uh, worldview, and challenging it uh, from that, that basis. Uh, and, and therefore, we wouldn't feel the need to compromise. And we shouldn't be compromising in the first place because uh, we're meant to be Muslims. We can't, we're not allowed to compromise uh, the, the truth, otherwise we, we cease being Muslims in essence. Uh, and, and that concerns things like explaining the how Islam organizes the family, uh, the gender gender roles, as they say, um, the Islamic gender roles, uh, Islamic, the Islamic punishment system for an Islamic system, uh, obviously Islamic government governance, uh, which will obviously be in the Muslim world, uh, doesn't exist today, but we would explain how it should work and, and why we stand by. Uh, those, those rules and, and why, in, in essence, there's actually greater wisdom in them than in the uh, approaches that we see uh, in, in the West. Uh, if we, because we don't have that angle, we don't have that perspective, uh, and we don't have that understanding, uh, we're generally very, very shy to speak. And then many Muslims will even deny aspects of Islam which are deemed to be problematic when they are raised in public um, by, uh, you know, you know, we call Islamophobes, xenophobes, or uh, le left left wingers who are uh, conscious of the disparity between um, Islam and uh, various left wing ideologies. Uh, so mm. I think was it Bill Maher? I think Bill Maher is one example um, of, of such an individual. And I also think that Sam Harris is. I, don't, I think he's probably more left. He's left wing than he's right wing. You know, he's right wing so much. Um, but these these people obviously will, will have and do challenge uh, religion. They challenge Islam specifically. Um, in many many cases, and we, as we Muslims are almost too shy to respond, or we or we respond as in, oh no, but Islam doesn't believe that about gender roles. Islam doesn't believe that about um, its penal system uh, under an ideal state. Uh, obviously, for Muslims, uh, or Islam doesn't believe that, or that was back then in the past, or all that kind of arguments, which really just deny and demolish Islam and actually surrender the moral high ground. Uh, to the Western, uh, uh, the interlocutors from Western political philosophies, um, mm. which is the wrong, wrong approach, uh, because it makes them out to be then the arbiters of good and bad. And we're just like, oh, please judge us to be good according to your basis. Please accept us, um, mm. which is wrong. It should be, you guys need to need to justify your worldview because it has some serious flaws and contradictions. Um, mm. And we shouldn't be ashamed to do so. I, I was once... Um, uh, invited to do a, a lecture on uh, the Muslim uh, perspective on the British flag uh, and it, by a society that specializes in just uh, looking at different flags and icon iconography. 
was really it was very niche it was amazing i mean it was quite mm. fascinating anyway um as a society they they like flags uh, the video's up online uh, for those who obviously were interested um and there was gonna there was actually a, one of a, a minister of parliament that was there so an mp um and i basically just explained uh, obviously the islamic perspective which is um yeah with that we'd find waving of flags quite um in a way uh, ridiculous uh, because the flags were invented to be tools to manage armies on battlefields um yeah. why are you waving a flag in in your own country do you uh, do you forget which country you're in if you can't see the flag up which one it is uh you know do, do you suffer from short-term memory problems that that would need you to remind yourself which country you're in so um I, I, I presented it from uh, a, a kind of wide view, historical, anthropological, and of course, Islamic um, perspective, which um, I think aligns to all those, those things. Um, and it, you know, it wasn't responded too negatively. Actually, they were actually quite interested. It made them think um, yes. about rather than just me coming up as a Muslim saying, I'm a, I'm a UK Muslim and I love the British flag and I love it so much. And I wear, hmm. I wear, um, I wear toppies made of it and clothes made of it and if i and i, I and i and i i give it i give uh was it uh hijabs made out of the british flag out the sisters for for yeah. every photo op, uh, opportunity done but in by uh by western media so it's that kind of ridiculous yeah. um uh kind of thing which i suppose some muslims well they don't they don't well they wouldn't do it like that but some muslims they just come on to say look i'm uh i'm a muslim i'm a citizen and I'm proud to follow everything mm. of this culture. Um, where it's like, well, look, um, if you mean by customs, then of course, you know, we follow British customs. We, we drink our tea, or usually coffee though. Um, we, yeah. we, uh, we, we queue up in, uh, in, in shops and things like where queues are required. And we do all those things that we speak English. Um, all the things which are customary, mm. we enjoy English literature, all the things which are customary, but the, the, the culture as in the Dean uh, which is predominant, which is secular liberalism in in, in Britain. Uh, we don't follow that, uh, and, mm. and and nationalism as a, as an adjunct to that. Well, we're not nationalistic. We don't believe that just because you're part of a an ethno linguistic group gives you authority by dint of just being a member of that group. And mm. likewise, we would argue that um, if if you have a problem with racism and you really want to solve racism. Uh, you have to get rid of the idea of uh, the nation-state concept and nationalism because the nation-state concept is the idea that a, an ethno-linguistic group is represented by a state. Uh, and what do you do then with, with other ethno-linguistic groups which are not mm. on, from that major ethnic, major ethnic ethno-linguistic group? Are they represented by the state? And you might say, well, uh, yeah, in a way, we're all equal citizens, but it's a nation state. So which nation really? And that yeah. kind of dispute you see in every country. And Canada is, is a great example because you have the, the Francophone Canadians and the Anglophone Canadians, the English speakers and the French speakers, and they don't seem to uh, appreciate the jurisdiction of the other, um, <laughs> to put it lightly, uh, right? So, uh, and, and that's, just, that's just in Canada, of course, but you can go to other countries around the world where there's civil wars between ethnic ethno-linguistic groups as to who defines the nature of the nation and racism emerges from that the idea of hating an ethnic group or viewing them as, as trouble or viewing them as uh, trying to um, supplant 
or change the culture of the society, i.e. The, the culture of the, of the way of life of the major ethnic group or the majority ethnic group or the ruling ethnic group. Um, this, all, this emanates from it. It's not this, it's not easy thing to say, it's not an easy pill to swallow, but it's the truth. Um, nation state concept and nationalism is, I think, one of the, the major causes of uh, racism today and the major causes of war uh than any anything else uh, but it but people don't want to get rid of that and so they don't want to talk about that but as muslims we have to we have to keep talking about it and say look guys you might not like it but if you really want a solution that's the solution okay and islam can offer that solution right and islam successfully uh, has offered that solution for centuries unfortunately in these days in this day and age because muslims are themselves subject to nationalism because of after colonialism we took these ideas uh, we too are afflicted with racism and with nationalism and tribalism and and sect and obviously sectarianism. But um, uh, but anyway, th these are the conversations that we should be having. We shouldn't be talking about um, seventy-three sects uh, in in the in the idea of, in the idea of different schools of thoughts or somehow. But we should be talking about um, the, the the kind of approximately fifty or so uh, sects, i.e., nationalities, uh, split mm. nation states, uh, which are. Are, are firaq right they are set they are factions they are they are set the word set means a separation a group of that a factor separates i argue that each of these sects um are are, are, are segments and they're not they're, they're different from the jama the, from a, a, the, the jama of the muslims and any muslim that clings to a, their particular nationality is is in a following a sect um mm. it is part of a sect um and we see a hadith by the rasulullah where he um, ordered the Sahabas uh, concerning the future that they should always bind behind the Imam of the Muslims, singular, mm. not plural, the Imam of the Muslims and the Jama'ah, the community. And he was asked, what if there is no Imam of the Muslims and there's no more Jama'ah? There's no more Jama'ah of the Muslims. So he said, then he commanded uh, uh, to separate from all the Firaq, from all the factions, even if you have to uh, eat the roots of trees. Um, it, uh, it doesn't mean that we literally have to find a place, go to Antarctica or somewhere where there's no nation state, but it means that we can't fly the flag or hold the flag proudly of any particular nation state because that we will be part of the Firaq. Um, mm. we, will be, we will be following the Firaq and we will be, we will be um, separating ourselves off. And, and as Muslims, we should be thinking about the real conversation to be had, especially mm. 100 years after the, the 100 year anniversary of the um, the, the, the fall of the of the, of the, of the Khilafa is um, to reconstitute the Jama'ah mm. and uh, and uh, reconstitute an Imam over that Jama'ah because we can't because the Prophet Muhammad had this hadith says we can't live any other way, right? To, so that we have to separate from any from the from uh, the, the different factions even if we have to eat the roots of trees. That's pretty extreme if you think about it. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's extreme, but it but it's uh, it would seem to be extreme, but it it has to be described that way to highlight just how important it is as Muslims that we can't be politically divided amongst ourselves, and that's mm. where division. That's where, and the Quran says, "Hold you know, hold the rope of Allah and be not divided amongst yourselves. Hold tight to the rope of Allah and be not divided amongst yourselves." If anyone affirms the borders between Muslims. Uh, you are basically affirming the. Um, you are going against the, the the express command of the Creator of the universe to not be divided amongst ourselves by uh, believing in borders, by believing in these um, 
these uh, uh, governments which are not buying Islam and have no authority over Muslims. But anyway, that, that's the combination that's not being had. That's not the combination that doesn't get the, as big resonance. But, ha but let's have a let's have a, a lecture on the jinn because clearly that's of great relevance to us. Or the end times. It's like yeah. if we have a lecture on the end times, the end times will be will be more pleasant or will be or, or won't come. No, it's going to come anyway. Um, why are you even fretting about it? Uh, Muslims thought the end times were, were, were imminent even at the time of the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. Uh, they thought mm. when the Mongols invaded, that was the end times. We keep thinking everything is the end times and it's never, it never turns out to be the end times. It just yeah. turns out to be another calamity. Well, the end time for anyone is when they're going to enter the grave, right? So, you know, what are we doing in preparation for that, which... I think uh, you're speaking about uh, some practical changes we as a community need to implement. Uh, in regards to some of your comments on nationalism, it seems that perhaps people change one flag for another, you know, when they've emigrated to these Western countries, right? You've now uh, maybe discarded the flag of another country and you've now, okay, this is my new cloak that I'm going to put on. And uh, we're almost repeating the mistakes that got us into this position in the first place oh yes uh, oh, oh definitely and um this is the problem meaning um i'll tell you i'll tell everybody the end time you have to be most worried about uh because that's the end time that uh it's i mean Allah Allah, but uh, it would be highly likely that this is the end time you're going to face and that end time is the end of your life the end of your time yeah. on this as an individual that's your end time and that's the only end time you need to think about because you know yeah. whatever the, the end time that occurs around the world um, we don't know. The, the Prophet Muhammad uh, described the end time as being uh, as close as you know between these two two fingers. fingers. But yes. uh, if I remember correctly, the, the narration. Um, but one thousand four hundred years has passed, and maybe in the history of man, if you take the history of mankind, which could be maybe a million years, um, you know, uh, the closeness of two fingers might be five thousand years. You know, um, mm. by by comparison to how the duration of time that humans have been on this planet. So it could be, it could be a few thousand years time when the end times happens. Uh, and, the, and we just see gradual signs along, along that, that time. Uh, some even said the Mongols was, was a sign of the end times. Uh, and that happened uh, quite, you know, you know uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So my point is that Muslims are having pointless discussions on things that they can't even change, which is the end times. Uh, and they're not having discussions on things they they, they can change if only they made it more Muslims aware of these things. Um, because as I, as I mentioned before, uh, we might have corrupt governments, but uh, no, these governments are not ruled by, by people who are superhuman, who can shoot lasers out their eyes and they can fly around and lift trains and things with their mm. bare hands. Um, they only have power mm. because Muslims believe they have power and that they mm. should be obeyed. So the reason why we have corrupt governments is, is quite literally a problem of Iman because we believe that we should be obeying governments that don't implement Islam, which now invalidates them as, as actually leaders and rulers. And of course, you can't have more than one Imam um, of the Muslims. Uh, uh, you can't have multiple imam, uh, leaders, right? There can only be one Imam of the Muslims. The classical scholars have always said this. Um, and so, uh, you know, who is the imam and who, who are the, the, the false pretenders? Um, this is things that, this is the kind of conversation that we need to have, because if all Muslims were made aware of this, it, uh, you wouldn't need a, 
you wouldn't need a revolution or any other kind of thing to change them and people would just stop obeying them mm. like abdullah bin obey the the king of yathrib he was going to be the king of yathrib uh mm. also that he became the king of the hypocrites um but people just didn't obey him and stopped obeying him and there was like uh, and he had to even become muslim himself uh mm. when the, there was the change of regime in, uh, in yathrib so the the muslim world the soldiers of the muslim world are muslims and if they are obeying rulers that uh, or should we say warlords uh, that don't have authority it's a problem of iman uh, and we need to talk about that what about also muslims are fighting each other killing each other let's what about talking about the verse of quran that says any muslim any believer any muslim who willfully kills another believer that you know then they're going to they're going to be sent to jahannam khalidona fiha to dwell therein um usually implying forever Okay, how come it's not talking about like people say, "Oh, brother, then, you know, we have to talk about uh, um, calling people to tawhid or calling people to different things because because to have saved them from Jahannam." But okay, what about Muslims killing each other, obeying the orders of these false rulers, and killing mm -hmm. other Muslims, and then yeah. putting themselves in Jahannam potentially Khalidunna fiha if Allah doesn't forgive? Okay, what about mm -hmm. that? Yeah, we're not having those kind of conversations, are we? So you have. Muslims bombing uh, each other from in Yemen and and Arabia uh, and uh, uh, Saudi occupied Arabia Egyptians Libyans fighting each other killing each other obviously in Syria too Muslims killing Muslims and um, the only the only uh, place that benefits is Jahannam having new inhabitants potentially um, mm. uh, from from these Muslims killing each other so these are the conversations that we're just not having and I thought this this is the proverbial elephant in the room it's like surely this is this is the, mo the most pertinent of all the conversations that we need to have how much do you think uh fear is playing a role in this i remember uh, a few years ago this is when uh, Qaddafi was still alive i was having a conversation with uh somebody who uh, very well educated uh high position within the university you know head of a department and this individual was at that sitting in Canada, you know, thousands of miles away from Libya, deathly afraid of Qaddafi, like even to utter anything negative about Qaddafi. Like you could see the fear was ingrained in this uh, individual. And it, for obviously for somebody being born and raised in Canada, like it's foreign to you, you know, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of like almost taught through like, uh, the culture, like you got to rebel, like as a, it's a natural part of growing up is rebellion, you know. So how, like, how sympathetic number one can we be of the position of many Muslims who have been, you know, uh, essentially having to live, uh, you know, at the tail end of a boot, uh, and you know, how much do they, how much is fear playing a role, and how can they overcome this fear? Because maybe that's one of the reasons they're not having these conversations uh, because of that fear of what will be rejected. Is there something that I will lose from the dunya? Whatever. Well, um, the, the thing is that as Muslims, we, we are very, uh, our level one understanding of, of, let's say, the world politics, uh, human society is, is so shallow that we always focus, we tend to focus on individuals, on people, and not mm -hmm. on uh, ideas and systems. Um, 
anyone that gets into power in the system that has been set up and in the in the beliefs and, and worldviews uh, that was, was set up by the colonialists in the Muslim world, anyone who gets the power will act the same way. It's not just bad luck, generally, right? It's not just bad luck. Um, uh, and anyone who tries to act differently, they'll just get the post pretty quickly. Um, so obviously, mm -hmm. like, you know, Mohammed Morsi, uh, well, you could argue Mohammed Morsi didn't even have the power in the first place because the, the army always retained the power and the army were uh, are, are controlled by uh, colonial, uh, post-colonial you know, post secularists, uh, which were instituted in Egypt uh, and, and, and generated by an education system that teaches secularism. So it's really because the Muslim ignorance as to uh, onto what Islam says, it, the, the Islamic worldview, Islam's uh, address for politics and Islam's solutions and commandments, um, the Islamic worldviews on Islamic nationalism and how it rejects it. Muslim, la the lack of understanding amongst Muslims on these matters it, and, and the uh, the, the, the kind of substitution of that from for Western or secular ideas of, of, of nationalism uh, and uh, secular rule and so on and so forth means that we'll always have such leaders come to power if the systems don't change. Now, uh, you, you do get, uh, you know, rare oddities that, that uh, emerge where people uh, do try to change systems, certainly if, if it's in a system that uh, where the power is a bit more distributed um, but, uh, for example, Imran Khan is, is a bit different from the, the standard uh, ruler in Pakistan in the past. Whether he won't be deposed by a coup is, is, is a different question, of course. Um, mm. But uh, it, it might also reflect the fact that the people are just tired of the same corrupt kind of leaders. Um, and, and also perhaps they influence the army to not do a coup and to let this person uh, to make a change in the system, which is more fundamental. That might reflect the change of the people's perception over time and the gradual kind of uh, elevation of their thinking over time as they think, well, we, we can't just have um, the same kind of people we've had before. And why are, why are these people coming into power? Is it be, it's because of how we look at politics in the first place. And, and this perhaps, um, if, you, if I may, uh, brings me to talk about um, how Muslims even conduct the debate and discussion in the Muslim world. Because I think it's part and parcel of the reason why we have the political systems that we do. Uh, you see it reflected even on the on the smallest scale uh, with um, with how Muslims even conduct uh, themselves in in light of difference of opinion and disagreement. Yeah, we have a question uh, from the audience. Uh, uh, I'd like to run by you. Uh, the question states: How do Western school of thoughts manage the contradiction between freedom of conscience, conscience, right to change beliefs and creed, and making everyone a citizen? without asking for their consent first? M making everybody a citizen without asking for their consent uh, to, be a, to, to be a citizen. Yeah, so yeah, so how do they manage the contradiction between freedom of conscience, uh, right to change beliefs and creed, and making everyone a citizen without asking for their consent first? So essentially, in a, in a, it seems like in a nutshell, that you know whether you're born here or you moved here or if you're like say you're born here and you're like you're born as a citizen here uh you know their philosophy states that you should have the freedom of conscience to choose your creedal belief or uh your values or whatever um but you're compelled to obey the laws without um them asking you for consent um, well, they they did they do ask for your consent. You just don't realize it. Um, it's called voting, 
Um, so by voting, uh, you give consent to the entire system itself every four mm -hmm. or five years. Uh, and that's the point of it, um, is, to, is to get that con uh, continual consent. Um, and people don't realize it. So I remember when Obama was, uh, the President Obama um, was encouraging people to, to, to participate in elections. And he said, I don't care who you vote for, as long as you vote. Um, the uh, uh, the politicians are concerned with public engagement in the voting system of representative, representative government. Because if a significant majority of people don't vote, the point that let's say if most people don't vote, um, it puts a big massive question mark on the legitimacy of the government and of the laws and the law enforcement and, and all this. So they in essence ask for your bayat every four to five years. Uh, the, your your pledge of allegiance in a way every four to five years um and that's how they do it uh, and i know people often don't see it like that but if you look at the enlightenment philosophers and how they discussed um how government should be affirmed it's by regular voting it's uh, to justify and legitimize government uh, because the the previous idea was uh, divine mandate so that you know god chooses the re leader and then you just obey the leader right so when that they got rid of that they need they need, need another mandate the mandate must be the people uh but uh then and then but how do you prevent tyranny how do you prevent someone getting married which have being elected once and then you know for life they are dictator for life you know in the roman sense um well you have to have regular consent given uh, and of course you can't have it every year you can't have it every minute or second uh, so consent must be given once every four to five years as it's practical. And that's where you get uh, that justification from. Uh, so that's why when you're, when people say, um, you know, you, uh, if you don't, if you don't vote, uh, you can't complain about how the, the, the politician acts. I would say, if you do vote, you can't complain about, it's, it's actually, if you do vote, you can't complain because the politician represents you. Even if you vote for the other guy, you vote, mm. you play a game where you accept the rules and the rules are that you shall obey and you affirm the winner of this um, process, right? That's what you're giving your, your vote to. So if you vote, you can't complain. Okay. What about um, the sense that, uh, you know, even if your vote, didn't count like it can be uh you know elections in some countries for example uh, are a facade you know so it's like you know i don't know a certain dictator getting 99 percent of the vote <laughs> you know uh so even if uh would you hold, would you say that holds true um in the sense that perhaps this is just um not even really meaningful the voting in and of itself uh in some of these other um countries and systems you know what i mean so you can't you cannot you 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 don't have the choice to agree with the system you don't have the choice to disagree with the system um and you don't have the choice of uh you know choosing another candidate because it's either you know <laughs> the dictator or the dictator those are the two options on the ballot um yes i think uh uh uh, David Hume and John Stuart Mill both mentioned these are like um, you know British thinkers. David Hume was the founder of the Conservatives, the intellectual 
kind of uh, founder of conservatism, not exactly the founder, but let's say you could say a major founder. Um, and John Stuart Mill obviously uh, led to the kind of social liberalism, that, uh, the utilitarian sense of social liberalism we have today. Um, they both argued that you don't, the people aren't, um, the people who are elected, they're not elected to represent your interests. Um, they are elected to think for you. Right? So they're not here to do what you want. They've been elected by you to think on your behalf about what should be done um, for the society. So they're not here to, to do what you want. Uh, and they, they shouldn't be doing what you want. Um, they should be thinking, this is how they argued it. They, 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 they're only there to basically um, to think on your behalf. Uh, so mm -hmm. they, they will think for you about what you, what is your best interest, even if you don't agree that that is your best interest, but they will think for you. So if they think that um, that uh, it's, in, it's in your best interest, it's in the best interest of your children, that your children should not be, in, uh, should not be uh, taught to be Muslim and only embrace Islam or even hear about it at a later date or age, they, will, they, could, they could impose more secular um, uh, uh, curricula in, in schools, or they, they might even, they could even impose secular curricula in Islamic schools and get rid of things they don't like uh, in the interest of the child. And you might say, but I'm the parents, of the, you know, we're the parents of the child, uh, we don't consent to that. And they say, well, uh, so what? Um, we think we think it's in the interest of your children uh, that uh, because we don't believe Islam is true, uh, but we only we only allow religion to be chosen as as a as a, a, a fashion choice, but it, but only later on in life uh, that children should be raised uh, according to uh, what we think deem to be a, a neutral a neutral worldview, which is actually neutral, just it's liberal. Um, but hey, if but if the child wants to obviously be a different gender than what the than the sex than its sex, well then we let the child do whatever it wants in that regard. Um, so if the child wants to be wants to remain a Muslim or wants to hear about Islamic education, uh, then or that we don't pay too much attention to. But if the child wants to be a different gender, we pay attention to that. Right? That that kind of inconsistency you see in um, in in the in the Western thought. But um, uh, could we? perhaps discuss a little bit on the issue of um, how debate is even carried out in, in amongst uh, Muslim purity. I, I perhaps want to raise a few issues um, as well. You know, uh, Ustad, let's save that for our panel with uh, all the speakers because we have another session that we will have you, inshallah, where we'll have all the speakers. Uh, we are just out of time uh, right now for our particular session. And of course, uh, you know, we're going to continue this conversation, inshallah, with uh, uh, hopefully another podcast episode dedicated to this, because I think one of the things that uh, you've endeavored to do, and I hope our audience has appreciated that, is to start thinking independently and critically. And if we start doing that and if we start questioning and we start thinking for ourselves, then we'll be less compelled to let people act for ourselves. We can you know, we can act on our own. You know, we don't need other people to uh, act for us or always rely upon that. So, Jazakumakhir for sharing your thoughts and your ideas. And, uh, yes, go ahead. Could I just potentially just, um, just uh, end on this, on this um, final thought, um, sure. which is, um, which is the, 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 the fact that Muslims aren't having the right debate in terms of the topics that we uh, are going to, are focusing on. Um, but rather, when we engage in, in as Muslims who are living in, in, in the West uh, on 
topics which are uh, either adopting uh, kind of left-wing discourses um, or, or we talk about things which are general irrelevancies. Um, I, I think it generally reflects in terms of us adopting like left-wing arguments uh, to defend ourselves is that uh, we, uh, it's the same reason why um, how or how uh, Muslims approach debate even amongst themselves uh, mm -hmm. is that it's about um, uh, being effectual and having power or trying to jostle or or, or, posit or posture ourselves for our, our um, material interests um, as opposed to kind of being servants and slaves of al-haq the, the the truth yeah very good whereby, point whereby if we were truly concerned with the truth and um, we in a way eliminated the humans from the equation when we look at when we, when we think about truth and we try to explain the truth um taking humans out of the equation because it is reality no matter uh you know we all live in in reality and, and no matter um, whoever says anything different then you'd, you'd get to see the, a better adab and better akhlaq amongst Muslims mm -hmm. and even in our debates with each other or our debates with other people because it will be purely about trying to find the truth but nothing to do with anyone's ego as you know as, as, as the international mm -hmm. word is truth is not connected to people's um, stature or status uh, truth is truth and so if we really um, if we adopted that we would be unafraid to explain in, in western context as much as within our own discussions we'd be unafraid to to uh, change our, our position or represent confidently um, the, the, the truth matter with letting the evidence speak for themselves and, and depending on our strength of argument alone rather than uh, on just trying to look a certain way or trying to posture or try to one-up your opponent because you want to look like you're better than your opponent uh, because you're, you're worried that if you if you don't denigrate them they will have more influence than yourself whereas for us it's, it's not about the influence of people but the influence of the truth that we need to focus on and that is the right debate the right thing that we should be focusing on in all our discourses for those of you desire this dunya and there's those who desire the akhira and if you desire the akhira you're going to stand up for the truth uh some i think very important points to end off on ustad khair. i look forward to having you with our panel with all our speakers from united islam awareness week and of course we're going to keep you know talking and discussing and getting people to think uh, inshallah in future podcasts on behalf of the Lifehack team, thank you for watching this video. And for more clips and beneficial content, please subscribe to the Lifehack channel, your number one source for personal Islamic development. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.